Right, the Bible, full of amazing stories, yeah? So I want you just to think, if I could grant you one wish, which is to go back and just be a witness at anything you've read, anything you know in the Bible, just imagine you could be there listening, watching. What would it be? Okay, talk to your neighbors for 30 seconds over what's your immediate impulse of where you'd like to be, see, witness. Okay, I'm going to cut you off there. Please feel free to carry on your conversations later. Um, for me, I would just love to go back. And um, the scene is when Jesus has risen from the dead, and two disciples are walking along the road between Jerusalem and Emmaus. And Jesus walks along with them. And um, I would have just loved to have been a third disciple, listening to Jesus. As Jesus explained everything, he says, says, Luke says in uh, Luke 24, um, that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What an amazing Bible study where he was bringing to life what we call the Old Testament and what those disciples would have just called scripture. Um, I'd have loved to have heard him talking about that. Imagine listening to Jesus as he explained away, as it just became so colored and colorful. Imagine you could ask any question of Jesus during that time. So what happened here? Why was that? Why? What? You know, et cetera, et cetera. It would be amazing to be on that seven-mile walk. As good Jewish folk, the disciples would have known so well those great stories and um, from what we call the Old Testament, but they just called Scripture. And of course, at that point, the Bible was only half written. Now we have um, the full Bible. So God's story is that whole book. The time before Jesus, Jesus' ministry on earth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to be with the Father, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit, and then the early years of the church where we are fortunate enough to have many letters from the apostles teaching these early Christians all about what it meant to follow Jesus. Maybe some of us might have a tendency, even in my list there, might have a tendency to focus on the second half of the Bible, the life of Jesus and the letters from the likes of Paul. But I think if we do, if we only focus on the New Testament and count the Old Testament as something old, we're missing out on so much. And that's why I'm so excited about us looking at the life of David and seeing what that can teach us about how God is, about how God's plan to bring Jesus, how God's plan to rescue his people, his people, the Jewish people, and then all people. So what can this hero, David, the young shepherd boy, who would become the most beloved king of the Israelite people, teach us about? What can it teach us about Jesus? And then also, what can this passage teach us about our own walk with God? So I want this evening to cover two areas. We're going to spend time looking at what um, our passage tonight can teach us about Jesus, and then what it can teach us about ourselves from 1 Samuel 17. So last week, we had the pleasure of uh, having Saab, our visiting curate from Thames Ditton, um, here, and he described how David, this young boy who looked after sheep, 
came surprisingly to be anointed as the next king of Israel. And at our point in our story, this currently is still being kept as a secret from many, especially a secret from the current king, Saul. So tonight we come to the passage of how David came to stand up against Goliath, the Philistine warrior, sworn enemy of Israel. This is one of the most well-known of all Bible stories, the story of David and Goliath. In fact, it's number six in the Bible Society's top ten of the nation's favorite Bible stories. Challenge for families afterwards, you can try and list all ten and then go to the website to see what the answer is. So now I'm going to ask uh, Steve to come and read the story. It's a long passage, but try and listen carefully as Steve reads to how, God act, how David acts and reacts as the situation develops. Well, right. Uh, we're, we're reading from 1 Samuel 17, uh, which is on page 288 in the Bible, and we'll jump through it. Now pick up, which tells me verses to read. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socho in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Socho and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Now moving on to verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defense, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. And now on to verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servants will go out and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been fighting man from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear come, came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword and over the tunic, uh, fastened on his sword over the tunic, and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give, you your, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole earth will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. That was pretty much all of the word of God. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Thank you, Steve. That's wonderful. Well done. Um, it would help if you kept your Bible open on page 288. And so first of all, we're going to compare what we've heard about David to Jesus. Then after that, we're going to revisit David's story so far and see what it can teach us about us following Jesus now in 2019. So first of all, David like Jesus. What do we know so far about David, even before this long passage from Stephen? As we maybe heard last week, or if we look back on chapter 16, David was anointed to do God's work. This anointing, this blessing came before David's first ever public act. Samuel, the high priest of God, blessed and anointed David. And now, maybe very soon after being anointed, 
we're already seeing David carrying out his first act, being called on to protect God's people. Jesus, too, was anointed as he started his ministry. As we looked at a few weeks ago in December, Jesus was indeed anointed when he was baptized by John and the Father anointed him as the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus as God the Father declared, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. At the start of both Jesus and David serving the Lord, they were anointed, blessed, and commissioned for the work that was about to come. Next, look in verse 22, 26. Sorry. David fundamentally sees this situation with Goliath in a very different way than the rest of Israel do, who are full of great fear for themselves. Rather, David says, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He calls this situation a disgrace to Israel and an act that defies the living God. David was a man after God's heart. This godless giant is insulting the people of the living God. David's heart and passions stayed firmly fixed on that living God. There is no reason for David to be confident, as confident as he is, without this firm and unwavering focus that he had on the living God, that he was there to serve his God and our God. All around him, men are losing this focus, including Saul, but not David. Jesus, too, is our perfect model of someone who stayed focused on who he is serving and what is his purpose. Not my will, but yours. Constantly, Jesus is there for his Father's glory and his amazing love for God's people, all of us. The next similarity is between, between David and Jesus is that this is all about one man. Goliath calls for one man from Israel to come forward who can save the people from destruction. David steps forward. The state of God's people lies on his shoulders. This is the exact role that Jesus had too. Without Jesus, one man, a man who was truly human and at the same time truly God, there could be no rescue. We are completely reliant on him. Through his sacrifice, all people through all time can be saved. Also, if we try to picture that scene with this young man standing there opposite this giant who was a war-wise warrior, we too could have thought like Saul, where Saul said, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. I wonder how many of the other Israelite soldiers would have been looking on thinking, now we're really lost. At Calvary too, as Jesus breathed his last and declared, it is finished. It must have seemed to all that indeed it was over and that this man who had brought so much hope had now simply died a criminal's death. And yet, with God, all things are possible. In both of these situations which looked hopeless. They are far from it. 
due to the sole reliance and obedience that both David and Jesus have towards the living God. Because of their faith in God, the outcome of both these situations was completely different to what the world expected. Next, David stayed true to how God had trained him. Saul, who had no other hope now but to trust David, tried to give him his armor and his weapons. It's almost a comic scene as they load all these armor and weapons on David. Look at what David does in verse 39. He sees that these weapons are not things that he can use. He is not used to them. He thinks back to how God has trained him. David has been a shepherd looking after the sheep, protecting them from lions and bears. This is the man God has made him. David did not know at the time, but as God allowed a lion and then a bear to attack his sheep, he is preparing David for that moment, now standing before him, standing before Goliath. Jesus, too, knew who he was and that his kingship wasn't an earthly kingship, although many thought it should be. Many times through his mission, we see this tension. The Jewish people longed for a Messiah to physically free them and through force remove the Romans from the Holy Lands. Jesus' rescue plan was actually much grander than that. He came to save all people, then the Israelites and Gentile alike. Now all people across the world, whatever their race, creed, or, or background, Jesus came to be the salvation for all people for all times. Finally, Goliath was totally smitten, killed outright. David was going to make no mistake in the beating of Goliath. He walks over to the prolapsed Goliath, now either dead or near dead, and with Goliath's own sword decapitates him. Jesus, too, on the cross, defeated evil once and for all. The battle against evil is won then and there. In Jesus, who is completely divine and perfect, dying for all once on that tree 2,000 years ago, death is defeated. In us, believing in Jesus and accepting his free gift, we share in his victory. Death has no sting for us. Romans 10 verse 9 tells us that by trusting in him and believing in his resurrection, we will be saved. Let's move to the second part of our talk tonight. What can we learn from David for how we can live our lives here and now if we want to know God better and more fully every day? First of all, be anointed. David knew he was God's. He was anointed as his. And if we believe in him, we should know this too. And make sure we remind ourselves and each other that we are his. Our citizenship is with him. He is our father. We are his and we are anointed with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended to his father 40 days after he rose from the dead, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with his followers. The Holy Spirit came mightily on the disciples then and has done since. He is here now. He is in church with us here. And we can be empowered and guided 
and comforted by him. Now, as modern Surrey Christians, sometimes I think we can be shy to remember or even talk about the fact of the power of God being in us and with us, helping us and prompting us. Knowing this church, we, knowing this, we need to know that we are anointed by the Holy Spirit and with him we are not alone in anything we have to go through. We can be like David, knowing that the living God is with us. Secondly, church, be ready. I love this penny drop moment in David when he realizes that his fighting of the lion and the bear had served as perfect training for this bigger battle. God has cared for and coached David, readying him for Goliath, even though David wasn't aware of that as he was protecting his sheep. As we progress through life, if you have given your life to Christ, either a long time ago or more recently, how is God training you today? What challenges is he allowing to happen now in your life that is preparing you for some bigger work he has for you? What is your lion or your bear that you are struggling with? This passage teaches us that through positive and negative events in life, God can and does use these situations to teach us about himself and about ourselves. One way we can make these events more effectively used by God is by praying for more clarity over what we can learn from these. I'm thinking of something that either causes us great pain or joy whether we totally messed something up or we do something really thoughtful. It's great, soon after that thing happens, to spend time with God, seeking his wisdom, asking him where, we, where he was in that situation and what he wants us to learn from it. How could we handle a similar situation like that again? What would we do different the next time? Having survived the lion, how can we better be equipped to fight the bear next? It's great to stop and reflect before we hastily zoom off in our busy lives, continuing life. Let us just stop and ask God what he wants us to learn from everything in life. Thirdly, David stayed true to his principles. David knows his purpose, and that's to honor God the living God. The living God is behind all he does and he keeps focus on this. We fail when we forget this. The living God is all we need. Sin happens when we forget this and try to live life in our own power alone or we put something or someone in the place of God. Saul wanted David to rely on the power of his borrowed armor However, David knew to rely on what God had taught him, trusting in God's provision, trusting that God will provide. Now, if you'll bear with me, one really interesting aside that I discovered was um, it's sort of a, a theolo theological geology lesson, okay? So bear with me. I think this is awesome, okay? They're in the Valley of Elah, and David goes and picks five stones ready for his sling, 
Now, one of the really weird things about the geology of, of the Valley of Elah is the stones in the stream are made of barium sulfate. And barium sulfate is twice the density of the stones in the other valleys. God ordained for David to be there with these stones, which were perfect as weapons to go twice as, um, with twice as much force, F equals MA squared, yes, twice the force as it hits uh, Goliath's um, forehead. I just think that's amazing, this attention to detail that God has in terms of that simple but little but vital uh, detail. It reminds me of the great promise of God from the letter to the Romans. As we, and it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We should, we should remember that he is our heavenly father, and we, if, if we are for him, as we sang earlier, who can be against us? The next thing to notice is that David didn't give up halfway, and he saw it through. David made sure the job was done. He could have left Goliath down on the floor, on the ground, but he didn't. He went over and made sure that Goliath was never going to defy the living God again. In our lives, maybe there's an issue in your life that we have left only half sorted. This could be a situation we find ourselves in at work or an unhealthy relationship we have with someone or a habit we allow to continue. How often do we not actually finish something, rather leave it to smolder and not confront it and not confront it with God? Leaving an issue or a problem smoldering just means it continues to be a problem and it continues to take our energy. It also means that we haven't been able to learn all we can from this issue from God because it's not finished. We're, we just let it go. It means that it, as it's not finished, we cannot move on. And that's actually holding us back. Maybe you have something in mind that you have just ignored or not confronted in your life. As we miss out from progressing, if the lion is never dead, then we can't move on to the bear. And we may be constantly, throughout life, fighting the same lion as it keeps rearing its ugly head. What in your life do you need to get shot of? What situation or behavior or sins are holding you back? What do you need to resolve once and for all? What do you need to allow God to work in you? Finally, and I promise this is finally, David stays grounded. I love the way this chapter ends. We didn't quite read to the very end of the chapter. But David has just done something that no one, absolutely no one, could summon up the courage to do in the whole of the nation of Israel. Not the experienced soldiers, not his older brothers, not even King Saul. And yet he doesn't let his pride grow. He doesn't brag and he doesn't get too big for his boots. Saul asks him whose son he is. He doesn't answer arrogantly. Maybe if I was him in that situation, I might say, I'm no one's son. I'm the new warrior king. Maybe that's just me. Um, yet he simply tells Saul the truth. I'm the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. Those times that God gives us success, we need to be careful not to forget 
where that success has come from and give God the praise, thanking him for the skills he has given us because it is so easy to be swooned by praise and success. There are two dangers here. Either we get over cocky and confident, the great saying we have in English that pride comes before a fall comes to mind that actually comes from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Suddenly acting and thinking that with this success, whatever it be, actually it came from ourselves. Starting to think, however subconsciously, how wonderful we are, not on how gracious God has been to us. The other danger is the opposite. Lack of confidence. Not celebrating the skills God has given us praising him for them, but recognizing that, yes, God has made us good at something and that he, ha- he can use them to his glory again. David recognized that God had made him good at defending his sheep against the lion and the bear and that he could now use these skills to protect the Israelites from Goliath. If he hadn't recognized these God-given skills, then he may never had had the confidence to recognize this when he said in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David had a confidence, but a confidence that is not placed on himself, but that is placed in someone who will never let him down, the living God, his Savior. So as we've traveled together along the Emmaus Road, Hopefully, we have learned something more about Jesus and also through David's experience, more about our continued walk through life with and for God and for his glory. Amen.